Gregory Warner here to tell you about NPR's new international podcast. It's called Rough Translation. Each week, we're going to take you to a different country to hear a story that reflects back on something that we are talking about here in the United States. Maybe get a perspective shift. Travel with us. Rough Translation is on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Glenn Weldon. Hey, Linda Holmes. Looks like we're switching things up today. That's right, we are. I got to chat with the actress Judith Light. You might know her from the Jill Soloway show Transparent, which streams on Amazon. Judith Light plays uh, Shelley Pfefferman, who is the former wife of Mara Pfefferman. And Mara is the transgender woman played by Jeffrey Tambor. And Judith Light is nominated for an Emmy for that role. And she's maybe best known for her decades of television work on shows like Ugly Betty. And of course, Who's the Boss, where she played Angela. That's right, she did. Uh, And some people, including me, go all the way back with her to her role as Karen Wallach on One Life to Live, which she won a Daytime Emmy Award too, actually, I think. And if you've never seen her, uh, her courtroom scene from One Life to Live, it's quite devastating. And she's also done a ton of theater. She's got a couple Tonys, uh, three if you count Danza. Uh-huh. Very funny, very funny. All right, let's get to it. After the break, my conversation with the lovely Judith Light. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Sony Pictures Classics, presenting Brigsby Bear, a new film starring Kyle Mooney from Saturday Night Live as James, a young man obsessed with the show Brigsby Bear. James's insular world is upended during one dramatic night, Directed by Dave McCary. Also starring Mark Hamill, Greg Kinnear, Claire Danes, and Andy Samberg. Brigsby Bear, now playing in select cities. Everywhere, August 18th. In the third season of Transparent, Shelley got into a relationship with a guy named Buzzy. And at first, it seemed lovely and genuine, but it did eventually end, and she had to find a kind of a different way forward. She found it in her one-woman show, uh, and she went on a cruise with her family and performed it on the cruise ship. And the performance and the season ends with a memorable rendition by Shelley of Alanis Morissette's Hand in My Pocket. What it all comes down to is that everything's gonna be fine, fine, fine Cause I got one hand in my pocket And the other one is giving a high five I feel drunk when I'm sober When you first see the idea, it's gonna end with you singing this Alanis Morissette song, yeah. does it feel like that's perfect or does it feel like that's crazy I have to see how it works out no I I didn't think it was crazy because I understood where they were going with Shelley emotionally and when they told me about how the relationship with Buzzy would unfold it all made emotional sense to me the one thing that I didn't get right away was the song I didn't know why Hand in My Pocket from Jagged Little Pill, which I know, and I love Alanis Morissette, and I said to Jill and her sister Faith, why this song? And they said to me, just look at the words, and we want to do it very differently, and it's going to carry Shelley's process in it, and that's why we think it's so important. And when you go back to the first season of Transparent, and there is one... Uh, episode, and I can't remember which one it is, and Shelley and the kids are talking, and Josh is a music producer, and one of them says something about the music, and Shelley says, I don't care for music. You look at that, and then you go, 
to season three and you see what has actually happened and how she shoved down herself and her voice and her what made her her but for the sake of protection and security and not wanting to live in uncertainty she closed the door on all of that and I think there are many people out there that can relate to that do you relate to that I do I do I'm finding myself in a very new place. My manager of 36 years passed away last October, and I'm in a a real process of finding my new way, a new path, Um, and I'm so grateful to be able to be on Transparent because I have a family there that I feel very nurtured and held and supported by. So I feel very held by that support and that support team. But it's 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 a new world for me. Yeah, I have to say I have watched you on television, in particular, for a really long time. I saw you on One Life to Live. <laughs> You're not uh, old enough. <laughs> I absolutely am old enough. I saw you on One Life to Live. I uh, used to watch it with my mom. Oh wow. Um, I mean, that to me was sort of the first thing that you did. That you hear about people saying like. This was kind of, um, even though you were already a theater actress, the thing where you were noticed by more people, I feel like. And, I, right. and I, I wonder, so many actors, particularly theater actors, I think sometimes, have a lot of trepidation about getting involved in daytime. Did you have that? Did I have that? I left repertory theater. I'd gone to Carnegie Mellon University. I went into repertory theater for about four and a half years. My parents were living back in New York at the time, like the Yonkers, Hastings area. And I remember going to their condominium and sitting down on their sofa and saying to them, okay, I'm here and I'm going to get a place in the city, but I want you to be clear. I am never doing a soap opera, which by the way, my mother always loved and my grandmother always loved and watched them and Mm -hmm. I said and I am never doing a sitcom (laughs) I am never I said I'm never marrying an actor and I'm never moving to California (laughs) so I am clearly as I've said many times before not a person of my word I do not (laughs) which I value more than anything but I I was making pronouncements because I was so I had these pictures in my head about what I should be doing and where I should be going and how lofty this life that I was embarking on should be. And I said, I will only do theater and feature films. Well, that's a really ridiculous thing to make a pronouncement about. Because what happened was, at the point in time right before I got the soap, I was looking at leaving the business. Because it wasn't working out according to what I just said, according to those pictures. And I also realized at the same time that I didn't know if the work that I was doing was actually going to make any kind of a difference. And I kept thinking, how can I find a way to make a difference in the world? Because I thought that was going to be more important. So the content of my career didn't matter as much to me as what the context was going to be. And I remember I'd thrown my back out and I was lying on my bed in this apartment in New York and I just looked up and I said, I I could barely move, and I said, okay, I don't know what or who is out there, 
but I surrender. However I am to be used, let me be used. In fact, that's actually what happened. I went to a a place called the Eugene O'Neill Playwrights Foundation. And when I was there, I did the first reading of Wendy Wasserstein's play, Uncommon Women and Others. And I realized that this business wasn't about me. It was about the team. It was about everyone. And it was about the service of storytelling. And so from the O'Neill, I began to realize that it wasn't working the way I wanted it to work. And I saw that there were all these people that were there just to be in service to the playwright. That's what we were doing. We were there in service to Wendy for her creation. Uh, Soon after that, I was running out of money and my unemployment was going. I said, I don't know what to do. And I, I, my agent called and said, they want to see you for an understudy on a soap opera. I mean, it wasn't even like the part yeah. on the soap mm-hmm. opera. It was like, and I, I said, oh, no. And she said, look, it's $350 for the day. I said, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I began to realize that how I had held certain things in this business, that I had looked my nose down at these things, that my disdain, my prejudice for different areas of our business was my problem. And then they asked me to audition for the actual show, and I got it because of the way I have looked at this and held this. And when I was there for the day as the understudy, I watched how hard they worked and what great actors they were. And I said, if I'm going to use my theater training to find a way to create a character in this medium and reach more people. Let me see if that will change my mind about leaving the business. And for me, it was taking the road less traveled. I'm going to ride the horse in the direction it's going instead of fighting. I don't want to fight the river anymore. I want to look at the things that are presented to me, and I want to be grateful and respectful And I want to reach more people. Because you did, of course, also then take a sitcom. You did Who's the Boss very successfully for a long time. Eight years. Eight years. Did you find that satisfying as well? Did that open up parts of your work and things like that? Totally. Same thing. You can't think about something in your head. You have to let yourself have the experience of it. Tony Danza taught me more about comedy than I learned anywhere else. He was and is a comic genius. It wasn't just this, in quotes, static sitcom. It was this constant, ever-learning experience. And I loved it. I adored it. It was like doing theater. Every Friday, we did a piece of theater in front of an audience. And the way Tony liked to do it is he wanted to go all the way through like it was a play. So our director, who became our steady director, Asad Kalata, he was a theater director. And so on Friday nights, we would do the show, and we would be done about 7 or 7.30 because we did it all the way through. And so it was constantly exciting and fun and challenging, and I learned how to hear comedy. Comedy is music. It's math. It's numbers. It's what you hear. And... I learned a lot about that. So it was it was thrilling for me. And then I 
extended myself into a whole other audience. And they have been lovely, faithful fans still to this day. There's something about having been in a project that people really love at a level of having watched it as a kid or something like that. That's not quite like any other attachment to to pieces of, of culture. It's really true. And, you know, I have young women come up to me now who grew up with Who's the Boss? And they say Angela was their role model for a woman being able to be out there and working in the world. And... You know, a lot of people say, oh, it's just a, a, you know, a lovely little sitcom. Not so. It was a cultural shift. Yeah, it's I think at that time, it's not that there weren't working women, but that kind of of working woman, particularly somebody who, you know, still embraced, you know, embraced family and at the same time was really successful at work was not necessarily something that I think you saw a lot of. At that That's time. right. And you also didn't always see blended families. Mm-hmm. Blended families that had a great sense of humor with each other. And I always loved the, the, the name of the show and that it was a question. Because every week, the boss was someone else. Mm-hmm. And that, who is the boss? The first title of the show, when we did it as the, as the pilot, was You're the Boss. And, oh. then, and, then they, and then they changed it. I agree. There were working women at the time. I mean, please, we were talking about women's liberation and feminism and all of that when I was in college and then right. in the 70s and right. there were working women but not the way you just described it so much as an example for people right you talked about you know choosing based on who the character is and what you're being asked to do at this point in your career what do you look for in in a character is it kind of a gut feeling are there specific things or you say I tend to not like characters that have certain, you know, qualities or or lack of those? I don't have specifics. I read something and have a connection to it. I didn't even read Transparent. I mean, I had a Skype call with Jill Soloway for 45 minutes, and we talked about our advocacy for the LGBTQ community. I... It's at an energy level for me. I think we all have inside of us millions and millions of different kinds of people. I'll use Shelley and Transparent as an example. A lot of people look at Shelley and say, oh my God, get her away from me. She's so crazy. I can't, oh, she's too much. She has no boundaries. And then you begin to understand what's been going on with her all of this time. Someone who is longing to connect, wanting to be close to people, and has no idea how to do it. Those kinds of things are fascinating to me. I think human beings are thrilling and magnificent. And with the work that I get to do and the places where I've gotten to work, I get to explore that. And I get to explore it for myself, and I get to explore it with the team that I'm with. I get to give it out to the to the audience. So I don't have specifics. Like you say, it you know, to a certain degree, it is a gut reaction to something. But it's also how can I bring this person to life and to light that will illuminate and elevate and educate the people who I'm working with, myself, and the people who are watching. Well, Judith Light, it has been absolutely delightful to talk to you. Thank you so much for for chatting with us. Thank you. I am delighted to be here, and thank you for your wonderful questions. 
<laughs> Thank you. The fourth season of Transparent is coming up on Amazon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>